God from Psalter number 83. Well, congregation, brothers and sisters, I want to speak to you this morning as I intimated about the joy of forgiveness, for that is the great theme of Psalm 32, which we're going to look at together just now. And Psalm 32, of course, was written by David. And it's believed by most scholars that he wrote this psalm after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba. And as you know, he then went on to see to it that her husband Uriah was killed in battle. And David, as you know, he tried to cover up his sin of adultery and murder until eventually he was confronted by Nathan the prophet about these same sins, and he finally made a full confession of them to God. And of course, God forgave him for his sins when he did so. And David was a man then who knew what it was like to live with the burden of a guilty conscience. He knew what it was like to live with the consequences of unconfessed sin in his life, all of the bitter fruits that that produced in his experience. But David was also a man who knew the joy of having his sins covered, being forgiven by God, when rather than trying to conceal his sin, he owned it and confessed it to God. It's the reality of these things that he's speaking about here in this wonderful psalm of contemplation or instruction. It's a psalm which is designed to help all of us to know how we too can be completely forgiven in our own souls for our sins and how we too may experience the joy of forgiveness in our souls when we do follow the example of David, when we do confess all of our sins to God. And so as we look at this psalm together then, I want us to see three things that our attention is drawn to here in this wonderful psalm. Firstly, the blessings we experience when our sins are covered by God. Then secondly, the burdens that we bear when we cover our sins from God. And then finally, the benefits we enjoy when we take cover in God. Well, firstly, then, let us focus on the blessings we do experience when our sins are covered by God. You see, that's where David begins in this psalm, in the opening two verses, where he says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit or guile. And you see, David is here expressing the joy, the blessedness, the happiness of the person then whose sin has been covered and dealt with by God. All of their sins. You see, that's what David is so keen to emphasize here at the very outset of this psalm, which is why, as you'll notice, he uses three different words in these verses which cover the entire spectrum of sin in our lives. But also he uses three corresponding terms for how God deals decisively with our sin in all of its various forms and expressions. And so you'll notice he begins in verse 1 by speaking here about sin as transgression. 
This word, as you may know, it literally means a going away or a departure. And it refers then to stepping over a boundary, to crossing a line. And you see, with reference to God, it's therefore speaking of open rebellion against the clear commands of God. And thus it pictures sin as an act of outright defiance on the part of an individual, as a refusal on the part of an individual to submit to God's rightful authority in their lives as their creator, their lawgiver, their judge. And you see, God has established certain boundaries or limits for human behavior, which we're expected to operate within for our own good and for the good of society. And when we go against those bounds and limits then, we transgress, we depart from God's law, from his right to determine how we should live in his world. And you see, in doing so, we're effectively setting ourselves up as our own authority, as our own God, to do what is right in our own eyes, in opposition to God and his will. And of course, every one of us here is guilty of having done this. But notice David also speaks of sin here in verse 1 by using the word sin itself. This word means coming short or falling short. Speaks of missing a mark then. And in the ancient world, as I'm sure you know, this term was used in archery. It's used to describe a person who, who shoots at a target, but who falls short of the mark. And of course, in relation to God, then the target that you and I miss is God's perfect law, standard that we're all called to live by. And the sin described by this word, then, it's a failure on your part and mine to live up to that perfect standard. You see, this word pictures sin as a major defect in our lives, then. See why the word transgression focuses on the violation of a known law. Sin looks at coming short of that aim which God intends for each of us to reach. And again, who among us here hasn't failed in this regard? Also, we've all sinned in this way. Every one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God by failing to attain to his perfect standard for our lives. As Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, But then, David, you'll notice he also goes on to refer to sin here as iniquity in verse 2. This is a word that means twisted or or crooked. And it pictures sin then as a distortion. You see, it brings to mind something that is warped or distorted. And it refers then to a corrupting, a twisting of what is right. And you see, friends, any time you and I do something that is crooked or perverted in God's eyes. We are committing iniquity. And this word then, it refers to a corruption, a twisting of right standards, of God's standards. But more than that, it also refers to the corruption of our own beings. You see, this is what we need to understand to the degree that we do indulge in sin. Uh, and we pervert God's ways. We not only err from the right way, 
from God's way. But you see, we ourselves become twisted and twisting creatures. Because you see, sin also brings about the disintegration, the perversion of our character and nature. And again, do we not all have to acknowledge that we're all guilty of iniquity in our lives also? Do we not all have to be honest and acknowledge we've all done things that we know are crooked and twisted and perverted in God's sight? And friends, have we not all been guilty of destroying ourselves also? As the Bible says, by perverting and corrupting our natures because of our sins. And friends, we need to understand then, sin is a destructive force in our lives. You see, it does only corrupt and defile us, causes us to err from what is right and good. But worse still, as the Bible reminds us, it actually separates us from God, the one who is the fountain of all good. And it condemns us as guilty before God from going astray from him in heart and in life. And you see, our great need in life then is for our transgressions, for our sins, for our iniquities, to to be dealt with. And of course, because all sin is ultimately against God, God is the only one then who can deal with our sin. But you see, that's what this psalm is also designed to teach us so wonderfully. That God is willing, God is able to take care of the problem of our sins. All of our sins. That's why, as we said earlier, the three words that David uses for sin here, they're matched by a second set of three terms, which he uses to express the blessedness of the person whose sins have been fully dealt with. And so David says when God deals with our transgressions then, he forgives them. He literally lifts them up. He carries them away from us. See, that's what this word means. You see, when we're forgiven by God then, as David reminds us so beautifully elsewhere in Psalm 103 and verse 12, God removes our transgressions from us as far as east is from the west. You see, that means then, as Isaiah reminds us, in Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 25, God will no longer remember those same transgressions against us when they have been forgiven and put away. You see, as David says, in dealing with our sins, God also covers them. You see, not only carries our sins away, he also puts them out of his sight which means he'll never bring them up as a matter of judgment between him and us. He'll never condemn us for them once they have been dealt with. Because you see, again, as David goes on to say, the man who experienced the blessedness of these things is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. As I'm sure you know, this is an accounting term. And it means that God does not count or charge our sins to our account when he forgives them. Rather, he takes all of our debt, all of the guilt of our sins, and he blots it all out. 
cancels the record of it all. He takes it off his books, so to speak. And he treats us as though we had never even committed those same sins. And thus he will never hold those same sins against us to condemn us with them once they have been forgiven. Never. And friends, is it any wonder then that David speaks of the blessedness a person experiences when their sins are all forgiven and covered by God? Well, that's the first thing that David describes here in verses 1 to 2 of this wonderful psalm. But he also goes on in verses 3 and 4 to describe the burdens we bear when we try to cover our sins from God. You see, the blessedness David has just spoken about, it belongs to those in whose spirit there is no guile or deceit. Those who are open, those who are honest before God about their sins, aren't trying to hide them from God, aren't trying to cover them up in his sight. No. Blessed person is the person who owns their sins, freely acknowledges and confesses them to God. And we'll see what that looks like in more detail shortly when we come to look at verse 5. And of course, that is where David was brought to in his experience. That's where we all need to be brought to in our own experience if we're to know and enjoy the forgiveness of our sins. But you see, before David came to that place, he did try to cover his sins. And he experienced something of the bitterness, the futility of the burden of trying to do so. For you'll notice he says that when he kept silent, his bones grew old through his groaning all the day long. For day and night God's hand was heavy upon him. His vitality was turned into the drought of summer. And you see, David is recalling here then the devastating effects of unconfessed sin in his life. He's giving us an apt description of what can happen to a person when they do try to ignore or downplay their sin, to deal with it in any other way than God himself has prescribed. And so he says then in verse 3, whenever he failed to bring his sin to God, when he thought he could keep silent about it, his bones grew old through his groaning all the day long. And you see, he's saying in this verse then that whenever he held back from confessing his sin to God, it impacted him physically, produced problems in his body. For it seemed to him like his very bones were wasting away. He was reduced to groaning in his body all the day long. And you see, the sad fact is then that unconfessed sin, the burden of guilt upon the conscience often associated with it, it can take a physical toll on us can have a detrimental effect on our physical health and well-being. But friends, it can also have a crippling effect on our emotional and spiritual health and well-being. For as David says in verse 4, his vitality was turned into the drought of summer. In other words, he's saying that his emotional, his spiritual energies were being drained out of him as well. 
was being sapped of inner strength and vitality. You see, as a result, he was experiencing mental, emotional turmoil in his soul. You see, his attempts to conceal his sin, to cover it from God and others, it was robbing him of all joy and peace and comfort in life. You see, David was experiencing the reality here of what God himself tells us in his own word. He who covers his sin will not prosper. And of course, David was a believer. And so he was made to feel that fact even more acutely. You see, friends, God cannot, God will not simply ignore sin in the life of his people. God hates sin wherever it is found. And he'll bring pressure upon us then, very acute pressure if needed, until we do acknowledge our sins till we confess them to him and return to him in faith and repentance if we're his children. And you see, that's what David discovered for here, for himself. You see, all of the debilitating effects of his sin that he was experiencing and describing here, they were the result of God's hand heavy upon him, as he says in verse 4. And you see, we must never forget then that God will bring his hand of fatherly chastisement and discipline into our lives as believers when necessary to confront us with our sin, to convict us of it so that we will come to him with it and we'll confess it and forsake it. You see, God's great goal and aim in the life of his people is to make them holy. And he knows if they're holy, they'll be happy and truly blessed in life. But on the other hand, if they refuse to deal with any sin that God convicts them of, they go on walking in their sin, then he will discipline them for their good. He will bring his hand of correction down upon them. And you see, David was feeling the weight of that conviction, that discipline here. He was experiencing the burden and weight of God's hand going out against him. You see, he knew he was in the wrong before God. David knew he had sinned against his God. But you see, he was refusing to come clean about his sin. He was seeking to cover it from God. You see, the longer he continued in that condition, the heavier God's hand was felt upon him. And friends, you see, we we need to take to heart then, if we do resist the convicting work of God by his Spirit in our lives, in pinpointing, in highlighting sins that we know we're guilty of, that we need to confess and put away, then we too will taste the bitter fruits of doing so in our lives. For as we've said, God tells us in Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 13, he who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes his sin will have mercy. And you see, friends, God loves his people too much then to simply allow them to continue in sin. And therefore, he will use discipline to draw them back to himself when appropriate to bring them to the place 
where they are willing to confess and forsake their sin. You see, that's the place where God wants to bring us to because he knows that's the place of freedom and uh, and forgiveness. It's the place of true peace and blessedness where we can live before God with a clean conscience, with a spirit in which we know there's no deceit. For we are open, we are honest, we are transparent before God about our sins. And of course, as we see in verse 5, that is where the fatherly discipline of God did eventually bring David to here. And this verse is really the turning point in this psalm. That's why you'll notice we have the repetition of the word selah before and after this verse. This word signifies a pause. And you see, it's reminding us then there's a need to pause. There's a need to reflect and ponder what is being said here before we we move on. You see, David is about to move here from living under the heavy burden and weight of unconfessed sin in his life to the experience of the joy, the sweet relief of openly acknowledging that sin and receiving forgiveness for it. And he's telling us then this is something that is worth pausing to think about, to ponder. You see, friends, it's vitally important that we take the time to reflect on what it means to acknowledge and confess our own sins so that we too would enter into the good of the things David is seeking to instruct and teach us about here. Remember, as we said, this is a psalm of contemplation. It's a psalm of instruction. It is written for our learning an edification that we too might know the, the experience of complete liberation from the burden, trying to cover up our, our own sins. You see, rather than trying to conceal our sins from God, we're called to simply acknowledge them to him, just like David eventually did here. For he says he acknowledged his sin to God. His iniquity didn't hide from him. He confessed his transgressions, to the Lord. What does it tell us? God forgave the iniquity of his sin. And you see, David came totally clean here with the Lord about his, his sin then. He opened his heart to God. He finally took ownership of all of his sins. He accepted full responsibility for them. For notice he speaks of it as my sin, my iniquity, my transgressions. And you see, he didn't hold back from confession of sin in any area then. For notice also, he uses all three words for sin that he used earlier in verses 1 and 2 to show that all of his sin had been fully confessed and acknowledged by him. And you see, David was no longer running around trying to deny his sin. He wasn't trying to blame it on somebody else either. He wasn't going around trying to downplay or minimize it. He wasn't trying to gloss over it, but trying to explain it away or calling it by some other name. He wasn't trying, like so many people here, say, well, well, nobody's perfect. David wasn't engaged in any of that. No, he, he, he got specific 
about his sins with God. He uncovered all of them to God. And he acknowledged before God that his conduct was sinful. It was wicked in the eyes of God. And he says when he did so, when he got serious about his sin and dealing with his sin in the way that God prescribes in his word, God forgave him for his sins. And he did so immediately. You see, that's what God promises to do when we confess, when we forsake our sins. He promises that he will have mercy upon us. You see, if we want to know the blessedness and joy of the person described here, we too must follow the example of of David here. We must learn to keep short accounts with God about our own sins by freely acknowledging them to him when we're confronted with them, when we're convicted about them. And we must learn to bring them to him continually in faith and repentance, believing there is complete forgiveness to be found with him when we do so. And that God is faithful. He is just to forgive us for our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. For Christ's sake, as John reminds us in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, we're to believe that we can take cover in God then as our refuge from sin and from judgment, believing that he is our only hiding place from sin and its consequences. You see, he assures us that all those who trust in the Lord and in his word, as David goes on to say, they will discover God's mercy shall surround them. The waters of his judgment, they will not come near to them. And that brings us then in the last place to consider also the benefits we enjoy when we do take cover in God. See, that's what the remainder of this psalm is speaking about. And you see, having experienced the forgiveness of God, of having God as his hiding place from sin and judgment, David wants to go on here to instruct others about the blessedness of knowing these things for themselves and of knowing God as our God, all of the rich blessings and benefits that do arise from such a relationship. And he tells us then that we should do as he did. We should pray to God for forgiveness and cleansing. We should take refuge in him and in his promise of mercy and forgiveness while we still can. You see, as he reminds us in verse 6, now is the day of opportunity. Now is the day of God's grace. Now is the time when God is to be found. And of course, this is a reminder to us that the day of God's grace it will not last forever there is a day of promised judgment coming a day when a flood of great waters will overwhelm will sweep into hell all those who have chosen to remain in their sins who have never confessed who've never forsaken them when they were given the chance by God to do so My dear friend, if you're here this morning, you are still going on in your sins. 
You haven't yet confessed them and turned from them. Then I urge you to do so before it may be too late. Before the time when God permits himself to be found may pass away from you. If you see, now is the day of his promised salvation. Now is the time for God to become your hiding place from the waters of his judgment, for him to preserve you from impending trouble, to surround you with songs of his deliverance, just like he did for David when he confessed his sins, when he cried out to God, for deliverance from them here. And you see, these verses remind us then that God will surround his people with his protective care and keeping when they do seek his aid and they do avail themselves of his promised provision of forgiveness and grace and that the waters of his judgment, they will not come near to them for they have fled to him to take cover in him as their hiding place, their place of eternal security. But not only that, these verses assure us that God will also surround the godly with his unfailing love and mercy, that he will be to them all that they need in this life and in the next. You see, God has promised to not only forgive his people for all of their sins, to preserve them from judgment, But he's promised to instruct and teach them in the way that they should go. To guide them with his eye upon them until they do finally appear before him in glory. And friends, what a tremendous blessing and benefit this is also. Don't you and I desperately need guidance and direction in life? Don't every one of us need the assurance that God is with us, that he will be with us? to watch over us and take care of us in life, to encompass us with his mercy and with his love. We see that's what is promised here to God's people, to those who do trust in the Lord, who choose to walk in his ways by following his direction in life. You see, that's why David also issues another warning here, not to be like the wicked whose lot in life is to experience many sorrows because they are those who choose to persist in going their own way in life. They are those who reject the wise counsel of God that he offers to them. You see, they're just like a stubborn horse or mule, as David says, which has no understanding. It needs to be harnessed with a bit and a bridle if it's to go in a right way. But you see, David says we're not to be like that. We're not to be like the brute beasts. Rather, we're to listen to God as he seeks to instruct and teach us through his word in the way that we should go. And friends, we're to heed his wise counsel. We're to heed his directives in life then as he seeks to lead us and guide us in the paths of righteousness which are clearly set before us in his word. You see, as David knew from experience, that is the only way to truly enjoy the blessings and benefits that he's speaking about here. It's the only way to avoid the many sorrows the wicked do experience, they will experience, because of their self-will and rebellion against God 
and his revealed will. And friends, let us pray to God continually then that we would be delivered from such a spirit, that God would make us more and more sensitive and receptive and responsive to his word and his, his ways. You see, that's one of the marks of God's people, those who do trust in, in the Lord, who are righteous in his sight. They not only have a clean record before him because their sins have been forgiven, but they also have an upright heart which desires to be led and taught by God. You see, they recognize they've not been pardoned to go their own way, but rather to go God's way. You see, that's what they desire. That's what every child of God wants in life. That's what brings the greatest joy to their hearts. When they do walk with God, when they follow his leading in life, Well, friends, David describes for us here in this psalm then some of the rich blessings and benefits which all those who have taken refuge in God enjoy in this life. Blessing of having their sins forgiven. Benefit of being surrounded with his protective care and guidance, his unfailing love and mercy. Because of these things, then he concludes this psalm by calling on all of God's people to now rejoice, to be glad in the Lord, to shout for joy. And of course, that should be the natural response of every child of God. As they do reflect on these things, that should be the response of you and I, child of God, here. And so, friends, let us take these glorious truths to heart then. Let us go on our way rejoicing that our God is a God who is rich in mercy and in grace to all those who trust in him. Amen.